I guess you're going first this week. Yes. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Oi with the Terror already. We're on episode 16 now, and I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm your other host, Sandra. So do we want to continue doing the Oi of the Week in the beginning, or do we want to go back to having it at the end? I kind of liked it at the beginning. Yeah, I felt like... Yeah, I feel like it's it seems better to start up with an annoyance than end with an annoyance or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I enjoy doing it in the beginning. And the one or two other episodes we did that. Yeah. So we can continue that. Cool. I'll go because I actually thought of a real example. <laughs> um, There have been... It happened like twice in the past few days like recently where I kind of had to give people the business and it's kind of like out of my nature to do that usually I try to be like accommodating and like go with the flow or whatever at least right. to people I don't know as well yeah but there were I had two situations where I felt like I kind of had to lay down the law and like I immediately felt kind of like guilty and bad but then it's like but I felt like I should have said something like it's they both had to do with um, customer service related incidents, I guess, to get more exact. And <laughs> one is about um, I heard about them on Instagram, but they're a company. It's like a travel ser- travel service, travel agent. They mm-hmm. it's this company where they find like local travel boutiques places in different countries and like you plan a trip and they connect you with someone who's actually in that country you're visiting which is cool that's cool so this lady i connected with her and we were going back and forth on like this is for maybe dave and mine's honeymoon next year in france so i wanted to try this new company i just heard about Mm-hmm. And, like, long story short, she didn't send me information she was supposed to in the amount of time the company said I was supposed to get it. And then I basically asked, oh, what's going on? I didn't get any information. And then a few days after that, she responded, oh, I just had a baby. <laughs> I was like, oh, congratulations. <laughs> but also, meanwhile, and like, each travel agent person through the company has a little bio so you like learn about so you know they're not a robot or whatever Mm -hmm. i don't know so her bio is like i love walking along like the rivers with my daughter blah 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 and then but in her (laughs) she's like what she told me was oh i just had my first daughter and i was like then how did you lie in your bio? <laughs> okay. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. Congratulations. And then we left it off as she would send me the itinerary information a week after that. A week after that, I don't get any information. That I wait a few more days and then I just like emailed the company directly. Like, this is what's happening. I never got any information. So then they connect me with this new person. So I was actually, like, impressed with the response from the actual, like, founders of the company. Now I have a new person, so fingers crossed that will work. But I was like, I basically maybe got a a lady who just had a baby in trouble, but I want to go to France. So 
Yeah. I need a plan. I mean, that that is the world of customer service. Yeah. So, man, you're always way better than mine. Well, I couldn't think of anything the past two weeks, so I guess maybe this made up for it. Yeah. Mine is, so I started a new job yesterday. Yeah. So only a few days in, and I'm liking it so far, except for the fact that we have to use, like, PC computers, and mm-hmm. I am so used to, like, Mac. I used Mac at my old job. I've had a Mac since college. So retraining my brain to use a PC computer, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> there are a few things that I yeah. tried to do today, and I was like, why isn't this working? It's like, because you're using a PC, genius. You're not using a Mac. Yeah, you'll get used to it, though. Yeah, I mean. Maybe a few weeks. It's not, like, horrible, but it's also just, like, it feels very annoying because, yeah. like, all of my coworkers and I are all like, yeah, we're used to Macs. Like, PC tests is, like, just relearning how to do so many things. And I'll be fine in a few weeks, but it's just, like, I have to relearn how to use my computer. Yay. Now you could say, I think, I don't know if this is still a thing, but I remember seeing this a while ago on, like, resumes. People would list it on the bottom under their skills or whatever, like, knowing how to use dual operating systems. I don't know if that's really a brag anymore at this point, but I saw that a few years ago. I feel like it is, because I do feel like you either like Mac or you like PC. Like, yeah. if you are used to PC and you get a Mac, you're kind of like, I don't know. I mean, like- I have, it's kind of, I don't get it all the time in job interviews, but I've gotten it a fair amount where they do ask you that, like, oh, do you know how to use a Mac? Do you know how to use a PC? So, yeah, it's definitely prevalent. Yeah. So, that is going to be my learning curve this week is new job and new PC. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it also took until like four in the afternoon for my work to get my computer ready. So that was yeah. fun. <laughs> so what were you doing? Just being like, oh, this is my office. This is where everything is. <laughs> yeah. I was basically just like shadowing and yeah. meeting with HR to get all onboarding. that stuff done. And yeah, stuff done and onboarding. And yeah, yeah. then at like 3.45, 4 IT was like, oh, you can come down and get your computer now. I was like, great. I have a half an hour until we close to figure out what is not on my laptop so I can bug IT tomorrow to put it on my laptop. I mean, that's why I kind of like the really early stages of starting a job. So you, it's like the one time you kind of have an excuse for not being super productive. Yep. It's like, yeah, you can spend a week or two just cramming your head with information and you can just like wander around basically. Yeah, I basically wandered around, like, the campus. I can say that much about my job. (laughs) And we did, like, a tour. And also, another thing that I'm just not used to is because my work is now Catholic-based. Like, they're run by Catholics. Mm -hmm. Like, our president is called, I think, Sister Janice. So that's kind of a new thing for me to get used to. And then the fact that I literally, like, walked downstairs... (laughs) Two flights, turned to the left, and was like, there's a chapel in my building. Do you think she has a LinkedIn page? That's just this is Sister Janice. I'm sure she does. <laughs> Janice. Oh, crap. I really hope. If it's not, I'm really sorry, Sister Janice. But, like, I'm pretty sure she's been the president for, like, 40 years. Just imagining nuns on LinkedIn is hilarious. Just for me, like, imagining nuns, like, in general is, like, 
am I in the sound of music? Like what? <laughs> They're just, actually like brewing beer in the lounge. I won't put it past them. She's pretty liberal <laughs> actually, which is why she's been around for so long because she's super liberal, which is cool. But it's also just mm-hmm. like it's like a mind blown thing of like, oh, right. There's a chapel in my building, and my president is Sister Janice. Cool. (laughs) Janice, I don't remember. I just know it's Sister, and I'm like, I don't know. It's going to take some time to get used to this. That's a good first step to remember, though, that Sister... I mean, hold on. I'm going to check now. That would be bad, I guess, if you got that wrong. Yeah, that's why I'm checking that now to be like, who is the president? Sister president. Watch me get it wrong. I have a, well, I guess the excuse I have is I've only been there two days. Yeah, oh, sorry, it's Sister Janet. My bad. Oh, that's pretty close. Yep. You should friend her on LinkedIn. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I'm not sure, but... <laughs> I know she was walking around campus the other day because people kept saying, like, hi, Sister Janet. And I was like, who? But we can also cut this part out, too. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. It reminds me of when I went to Providence and, like, I was just, like, so in shock by all the nuns walking around. I was like, what are all these nuns doing here? I guess... They like being in Providence. I guess so. I mean, that's how I felt when I went to Italy. When you go to yeah. Rome. And you're just are like, there's so many nuns. And you're like, oh yeah, the Pope is here. Like, that actually makes sense. And the Vatican is here. So, it makes sense. This is where nuns are created. Yeah. <laughs> Although, good for them. Because it is not an easy calling. I feel like I need to say that. <laughs> oh god, you're going to have to have so much to cut out. <laughs> I'm keeping some of it in. All right. That's fine. So (laughs) my story this week also has to do with Boston. Okay. Yeah, I was really confused by the thing you sent me. And I was like, I need more information because I have so many questions. It was an illustration of a skinny guy walking in like Victorian age with a cane and top hat, I think. Okay, because I'm looking at it now, and for a second I was like, does he have arms? He does. Mm, Not for long. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody, grab your popcorn. We're in for a ride. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be such a messy ride. Okay, so the murder also has to do with hashtag Dave the intern and his ancestors, maybe. (laughs) Oh, boy. I actually, this is sort of a recommendation from a listener. I have heard of it before, but then forgot about it. And then as I was doing research on this, I was like, wow, this is a lot more detailed than I thought how I remembered. So Dave's mom actually recommended this story and one of like the things she was saying is she was recommending it which she said that dave's aunt from his uh, mom's side i believe has like some great distant cousin someone who is somehow related to this guy apparently who was murdered dave has such an interesting family 
And it's perfect for the Boston crimes that I tend to end up doing. Seriously. So, the crime I will be talking about today is the murder of Dr. George Parkman. This case has been referred to as the O.J. Simpson trial of the 19th century. The victim, George Parkman, is a well-known affluent member of the Brahmin Boston Society. The main suspect is also well-respected and a person from the Boston Society. In the early autumn of 1849, George Parkman disappeared and was later found dismembered and partially burned in the laboratory of John Webster, a lecturer at Harvard Medical College. Webster was convicted of the murder and eventually hanged. This murder case received a lot of attention and was highly publicized and sensationalized. This also paved the way for modern forensic investigation because that apparently due to the fact that this was the first case where dental records were used as evidence. Mm -hmm. George Parkman was born on February 19th, 1720. He was a member of one of Boston's most affluent families. Parkman was known to be thrifty and always thought of ways to continue saving his money. Oh, apparently the house where he either grew up or where he moved into later, it's this famous well-known house, and it's currently the house that's the residence of the mayor of Boston. That's how it serves. So they still, like, it's still... Usable. It hasn't been demolished. It's still apparently being used. So that was kind of interesting when I read that. That is interesting. Apparently the mayor doesn't actually live there, but he holds some events or meetings in the house. So Parkman was known to always be thrifty and would think of ways to continue saving his money. Oliver Holmes Sr., a friend of his, said... That, quote, he abstained while others indulged, he walked while others rode, and he worked while others slept. George's net worth is equal to about $10 million in today's money. He owned real estate and would collect rent by walking to every neighborhood instead of riding in a horse and carriage, which was sort of like the typical thing for a type of gentleman-like figure. Mm-hmm. Due to the fact that he walked everywhere, he became a well-known figure on the streets of Boston in the early 18th century. Meanwhile, John Webster was considered a brilliant lecturer at Harvard Medical School. He was born on May 20th, 1793. John is described as being pleasant, but also very nervous and easily excitable. The discoveries in his classroom led to some of the latest scientific discoveries at the time. He often discussed pyrotechnics and was a fan of fireworks. The president of Harvard warned that he pulled dangerous stunts on the campus. I didn't know what these stunts were, but maybe involving fireworks, I guess. Maybe. Although Webster was considered an intellectual genius, he was not wealthy. He would suffer from financial woes. And his family had to give up their mansion in Cambridge, which was built a few years earlier. John was in debt to several of his friends, and he li lived in a decent home, but his salary would never cover his expenses. 
John Webster borrowed $400 from George Parkman in 1842. This amount would be equal to just over $10,000 now. This debt remained unpaid in 1847, five years later. Webster collected collateral for Parkman, which was a cabinet of rare minerals. This worth was more than $2,000 to cover his unpaid balance and another loan. In 1848, Webster borrowed more money from Robert Shaw, an associate. Webster used the same minerals as collateral despite the fact that they were already promised to Parkman. When George found this out, he became enraged and went to confront Webster. On November 22, 1849, uh, George went to Cambridge to look for Webster, where he found Mr. Petey, the cashier at Harvard, and demanded he get the money from the sales of Webster's lectures to repay his debt. Later that same day, Webster went to Parkman's house, where the prof- professor suggested meeting at the medical college later that day at around 1.30. Webster returned home that evening at 6 p.m. and went to his friends, the Treadwells, for a party at their home. None of the guests reported John acting strange or distressed. Two days after George was last seen, his family was very worried about his whereabouts. His family contacted the police and they started looking for potential leads. Webster was questioned by the police and he informed them of the debt, saying that he paid it off. Apparently, he was acting normally when he spoke with the police. In late November, a $3,000 reward was established in the hopes of finding George Parkman alive. 28,000 copies of a missing persons poster was plastered all over Boston and surrounding areas. $1,000 was offered to anyone who would be able to return George's body. This fueled hundreds of theories reported in the press. The most popular theory was that Irish immigrants were to blame. Others speculated that he just woke up one day and decided to leave his family in Boston behind. And another theory is that perhaps George was an easy target due to his well-known affluence and the with the great likelihood of having a large sum of cash on his person. So the theory was that he was potentially beaten, robbed, and then left for dead. Search parties were formed, and they searched for George in rivers and forests. It was at this point that Webster started acting abnormally. People grew suspicious after he asked Ephraim Littlefield, a janitor at Harvard, if he had seen Parkman on the day of the disappearance. According to Littlefield, the janitor, at around 1.30 p.m. on a Friday afternoon, Webster struck the ground hard with his cane and asked the janitor if he had seen him inside the building. When Littlefield responded that he hadn't seen him, Webster again said that he paid off the debt that he owed to Parkman. Ephraim also said that Webster asked him about the dissecting vault, and then after this, apparently gave him a turkey for Thanksgiving. <laughs> like, as a bribe? I don't know why. It's such a strange interaction. Like, did you see this guy who's missing? Blah, blah, blah. I paid off his debt. Blah, blah, blah. Here's a turkey. Here's a turkey. I mean... So... <laughs> 
After this, the janitor found his behavior odd and decided to conduct his own investigation on the missing Parkman. This started on November 28th. Webster arrived at the college early and went to his classroom. Littlefield watched Webster from under the door. It was during this time that the janitor witnessed the professor walk back and forth in the room eight times. He would walk from the furnace to the fuel closet and back. A few hours later, the furnace was burning so hot that the heat could be felt throughout the other side of the wall. Littlefield waited until Webster was gone for the day and let himself in through an open window because all of the doors to the room were bolted shut. Littlefield found kindling barrels that were almost empty and wet spots on the floor. Two days later, the janitor chiseled away into or chiseled a hole into Webster's private lab privy. Police had not searched this area before. A reason why Littlefield was so motivated to investigate Webster was in order to clear his own name because he worked at Harvard and was around there the time that Parkman like was last seen. Police thought that he was also a potential suspect. So when Littlefield looked into the hole he just chiseled, he was able to see apparently a pelvic bone sticking out of a pile of dirt. And there was also a dismembered thigh and a lower leg nearby. So I'm like curious. He saw a bone. He was automatically just like, that must be a pelvic bone. Or he saw a bone and someone got it later. And then it was later determined it was a pelvic bone. Yeah. I mean, I'd be freaked out if I saw any bone. I don't think I could identify it. (laughs) Littlefield went to the investigators after this discovery. The bones were removed and brought to Jabez Pratt, a coroner, for identification. Two officers were sent to Webster's home. Webster proceeded to tell them that the janitor was the one to blame. Webster was arrested and put into a prison cell where he was seen acting nervous and trembling. Shortly after this, he tried to poison himself with strychnine, but only resulted in making himself ill. So I saw the strychnine thing, and I was like, this sounds very familiar. And I couldn't remember, I think I either mentioned it in the Sonny Von Bulow case, or Mm -hmm. in the killer nurse Jolly Jane. One of them also was using strychnine for poisonings. I feel like it was Nurse Jolly Jane. Yeah. For some reason, over the other one, but I could be wrong. Yeah, that was interesting. I guess it was popular at that time, 1800s. So meanwhile, investigators searched for the rest of the body. A full search was conducted in Webster's furnace. Strange acid stains were found on the floor. Inside the furnace, a button, some coins, and a jawbone with teeth. A large chest contained an armless, headless, and partially burned torso. The head was sewn off, and a thigh was stuffed inside the torso, and the heart and other organs were missing. Mrs. Parkman identified this as her husband, George, based on some birthmarks. After searching even longer, Parkman's bloody clothing was found. 
Initially, Webster's friends refused to believe that their friend could be capable of such a heinous crime, and they thought that it must have been the janitor with his motive being greed, and he was just framing Webster. The funeral for George Parkman took place on December 6th, with thousands of people lining the streets. Like two or three other crimes I mentioned in previous episodes, this trial was also considered the trial of the century. Webster was indicted for murder on January 26th. He came up with a 194-page defense, and I said classic professor, which he gave to his attorneys and then proceeded to sit in silence. Initially, Webster pleaded not guilty. Evidence was brought up from both sides with the dental records confirming the body was that of George Parkman. In the end, Webster was found guilty and was sentenced to be hanged. A courtroom writer wrote of the verdict, quote, The prisoner who upon the sentence of the jury had turned deadly pale, but who had stood up with a firm bearing to receive the verdict of the jury, immediately upon its announcement grasped the rail in front of him and slowly sank down into his seat. Dropping his head, he rubbed his eyes beneath his spectacles with a trembling and convulsed motion, as if to wipe away tears, and remained in that position for a few moments. End quote. After the verdict, people remained split on who murdered Parkman. Some felt that it was the janitor, Littlefield, while others thought that the killer was Webster. Both men had easy access to the furnace room, but the main distinction which separated the suspects was the process in which Parkman's body was dissected. Webster was equipped with the knowledge in how to do this based on his teachings, while Littlefield lacked this ability. When Webster's death warrant was read aloud, he finally admitted to the murder and wrote a confession. He stated the murder of Parkman was an act of self-defense after a confrontation about Webster's debts became violent. He said this was an act of rage and was not pre-planned. Although he asked Parkman to go to meet him at the college, so it was probably slightly... Just a little bit. When Parkman went to his house, he was like, let's meet at the college later, bye. The case had a lasting impact as it was the first of its kind in the United States where dental records was accepted in a murder trial, was accepted as evidence in a murder trial. Today, the townhouse of George Parkman can be visited. It is located at 8 Walnut Street in Boston. The stately mansion serves as the home of the mayor, but is rarely stayed in. Many Bostonians believe that Parkman's spirit still haunts his old house at 8 Walnut Street. Mysterious sounds and apparitions have been reported inside and out. Even a haunted toilet, which floods on its own leading some to believe the former owner was trying to destroy the property. That might be the first time I've ever heard of that. (laughs) Yeah, same. Haunted toilet. I've heard of many haunted things, but not a haunted toilet. (laughs) Paranormal enthusiasts believe that Parkman is in a state of unrest because, in fact, Littlefield was the one who was responsible for his murder. Perhaps Parkman's soul wanders because of the way his corpse was treated. Regardless, the feelings inside the townhouse on Walnut are unexplained. It's turned into like a paranormal ghost story in the last 30 seconds. Wow. That's 
quite a story. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I didn't realize how... I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like, it was how it was such a big deal, I guess, because Parkman was well-known and the professor taught at Harvard that probably, like, made it even more scandalous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you so, gotta love Dave's family. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I, when I looked up George Parkman, either for this or earlier, I read that apparently he was... I don't know if it's directly because of him being murdered, but it sounds like that's mainly the reason why his family was in like this state of shock after mm-hmm. by this happening. And it seems like his kids maybe became kind of shut-ins. Like basically his son and daughter, I think lived either at this house or some other house together. And I don't think they had any kids or anything. So no. I think it said like the line kind of ended with his family. I mean, it, so and then his wife was in yeah pretty upset about it yeah i mean it makes sense yeah like this yeah i I don't know if it's because the kids were mad at boston or couldn't believe what happened but they kind of just stayed in the house and that was it i guess like wow i don't think they married either oh wow so then it truly just kind of died with them yeah yeah Mm -hmm. mm-hmm sure i know what you're doing based on your hint all right so i'll give you i'll give you three hints i'll (laughs) I'll be nice all right so you know the first hint is shrek the second hint is that they're in a lot of like modern media oh so it's not ogres ogres. (laughs) that's what i thought (laughs) not this week Um... maybe maybe next time and the last hint is that dinosaur bones used to be mistaken for their bones that's how long they've supposedly been around it has to do with shrek yeah (laughs) giants nope dragon yep yay (laughs) i was gonna say game of thrones and i was like that's two on the nose she'll get that in like two seconds Mm, i got it yay (laughs) so this week yeah, I actually, I got inspired by this because Carrie, my roommate, her boyfriend and I, we all watched Raya and the last, I think it's Raya, it might be Raya and the Last Dragon on Disney+. Plus. And I liked the way that they portrayed the dragon. So I was kind of curious to see like, oh, mm. like, how did dragons kind of like become really, really popular? Because I feel yeah. like they're in everything. I know. Um, from kids things like Raya and the Last Dragon to like Game of Thrones to like Lord of the Rings. Or I guess The Hobbit. It's technically The Hobbit, more so than Lord of the Rings. That's what my topic is for this week. So just kind of give a little bit of history. So the word dragon actually comes from the ancient Greek word dracanta, uh, which actually means to watch. And this suggests that the beast or dragon guards treasure, um, such as gold or coins or gems, which is how we I feel like we see them a lot. 
Um, there are there is actually a debate um, that it might be more of a symbolic treasure and not so much for hoarding or for the dragon to guard, but more of a reward for the brave knights who try to come and kill or slay the dragons. Um, it's not clear when or where the stories of dragons actually first emerged, but there were supposedly these huge flying serpents that were described at least as early as the age of the ancient Greeks and Sumerians. Um, so for much of that time, dragons were actually thought to be like any other mythical animal. Sometimes they were seen as really useful and protective, and other times they were seen as really harmful and really dangerous. And a modern example of, I think, us seeing that dragons being portrayed in both of those is actually in Game of Thrones, where depending on like which character or which story arc you're looking at, either the dragons are seen as good, um, for example, kind of in the earlier seasons, or they're seen as like horrible and destructive, kind of like in the later seasons. Um, I wasn't actually aware of the fact, but apparently there was a change uh, when Christianity started to spread the word to start kind of to spread across the world that dragons then took on like, so when Christ, I guess when Christianity kind of started to mix with dragons, they kind of took on more of a sinister interpretation and they, dragons actually came to represent Satan. Really? Which I thought was really, like, it kind of makes sense because like, they're supposed to guard things and they're supposed to be evil. But I didn't really connect dragons with Satan. I thought that was a little, not out mm. there, but maybe a little bit out there. And it turns out that back in medieval times, most people who heard anything about dragons would actually know them from the Bible. Um, so it's most likely that Christians at the time believed in the literal existence of dragons. There's also, I think it was in Le Leviathan, that they're described as a massive monster described in the detail of the book of Job in chapter Job. 41. It sounds kind of like a dragon and I'll say the direct quote. So the direct quote is its back has rows of shields tightly sealed together. Each is so close to the next that no air can pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot be parted. Its snorting throws out flashes of light. Its eyes are like the rays of dawn. Flames stream from its mouth. Sparks of, flat, sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours from its nostrils as from a boiling pot over burning reeds. Its breath sets coals ablaze and flames dart from its mouth. So mm. after reading that, you do kind of get the feeling that it was describing a dragon just because of the fire and the teeth and the smoke. Um, that is kind of how at least I envision a dragon, with it being able to breathe fire and having rows and rows of just really sharp teeth. Hmm. So apparently, this is why, is this why I mentioned? Yeah, this is why I mentioned the dinosaur bone thing earlier. So apparently, um, there is the belief that dragons were not just based in legend, but also hard evidence, at least at that time. Uh, basically, for a millennia, no one knew what to make of the giant bones that they were finding all over the globe. Um, they didn't realize that they were dinosaur bones. They thought they were actually dragon bones. Mm. So when you combine something like the Bible and then you actually have hard physical evidence, it makes more sense that they would be like, oh, these must be dragon bones. Like dragons must be real. Yeah. So I also found that there was a lot of kind of diversity among dragons. Um, most people today can easily picture a dragon and uh, they can picture usually a 
flying giant beast that breathes fire and has rows of teeth and is usually guarding something. But some dragons, it turns out, are depicted as having wings. Other dragons don't have wings. Some dragons can actually speak or breathe fire. Others can't. Some are kind of only a few feet long. Others span miles and miles. Hmm. Um, Some dragons live in palaces under the ocean, while others can only be found in caves and inside mountains. And that kind of made me think of, like, Mulan and Mushu. How Mushu is, like, supposed to be a dragon, but he's, like, this little teeny tiny thing. Yeah, yeah. So that made me kind of think of, like, okay, that's kind of more like Mulan and how they depict Mushu of being, like, this small but still kind of mighty dragon. There was also a folklorist by the name of Carol Rose who actually discussed in her book, Giants, Monsters, and Dragons, an encyclopedia of folklore, legend, and myth, uh, which came out in 2001, that, and I quote, dragons have composite features from many other beasts, such as the head of an elephant in India, that of a lion or bird of prey in the Middle East, or numerous heads of reptiles such as serpents. Their body color may range from green to red to black, or even yellow, blue, or white. So... There's actually, like, depending on even what part of the world you're talking to, they might have a different idea of what a dragon is than you do, which I found really interesting. So the other thing I was looking into was whether or not you could actually kill a dragon because kind of growing up with, I feel like, stories like Sleeping Beauty and there's so many of them, like a few other ones that we may have grown up when we were kids, like, it is possible in those tales to kill a dragon, Mm -hmm. but because they're such kind of giant beasts and they have really thick scales, is it actually possible to kill them? So according to what I found, uh, vanquishing a dragon was not only an important career opportunity for many ambitious saints or knights or even hobbits, but it was also a way to actually raise armies. And according to Michael Page and Robert Ingen, that note in their encyclopedia of things that never were, which came out in 1987. The use of dragon's teeth provides a simple method of expanding the armed forces of any country. It was first practiced by Cadmus, king of Thebes. First prepare a piece of ground as uh, a piece of ground as though for sowing grain. Next catch and kill any convenient dragon and draw draw all its teeth. Sow these in the furrows you have prepared, cover lightly and stand well away. So it sounds really easy. But it is an interesting idea that maybe back in medieval times or before that, people were saying that there was a dragon just to kind of raise armies Mm -hmm. and as a kind of a way for men to like fight, but not necessarily that there was anything for them to actually kill. So I was also trying to look to see like where the fire breathing kind of came from as well, because that's kind of a stereotype that dragons breathe fire. And that actually came from medieval depictions. So for example... They're compared it to like the mouth of hell because it's hot, there's fire, there's flame. So that's kind of where a lot of the beliefs that mm-hmm. they fire came from, which again can be tied back to the Bible as well. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So then kind of the big question is, were dragons ever real or are they even real now? There's a lot of debate about whether or not they even existed. Obviously, we don't really have the hard physical evidence because we don't have bones or anything like we do for dinosaurs. But there is the belief in the literal existence of dragons in the way that people may believe in Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. It's just kind of a too big and too fantastical of a story to kind of not really believe or even know about. These are dragons. 
Yes. For those of you who are listening, Danielle is holding up. Is that a kimono dragon? Yeah. <laughs> a picture of a kimono dragon. <laughs> if you want to look at what a modern dragon, which actually I was just going to get to. You literally beat me by like 30 seconds. <laughs> so yeah, bringing up the kimono dragon. So because people would travel and they would see kimono dragons, they started to believe that dragons were real again. And that that was a confirmation that maybe they're smaller now, but maybe they were bigger back in the day and maybe they've gotten smaller kind of over the years. Mm. But that the kimono dragon was only actually verified um, back in 1910. Hmm. So rumors of fierce dragons were still like around obviously long before that and obviously long after that. Um, Also, for anybody who wants to know the kimono dragon, it was especially deadly because of the toxic bacteria in its mouth, hmm. though apparently that was a myth in two, that until that was debunked back in 2013 by a group of researchers from the University of Queensland who discovered that the Komodo dragon's mouth are no dirtier than those of other carnivores. Hmm. So that might have also kind of played into it when people seeing these smaller dragons and thinking, oh, they're going to kill, like if they bite me, they're going to kill me because they're poisonous and it, or they have venom and it turns out they don't. In kind of today's world, obviously, we're still talking about them. We'll probably always be talking about them because they're in so much media, Um, whether it's epic fantasy, like uh, what happened in The Hobbit or Harry Potter. Sorry, Danielle, I'm to bring up Harry Potter again. But um... I was actually going to mention it, too, at some point, (laughs) because they have they mention in in the one movie, I don't think in all of them, they mention um, the dragons that. They have to battle. Yeah, I think dragons are mentioned a few times because one of the Weasley brothers, Charlie, works with them. So he's like mentioned throughout the series. So yeah, they're also in that. And they do kind of fuel your imagination as well. Because like I said, depending on who you're talking to and where they come from, they may have a different image of a dragon than you do. And we're able to just kind of inspire stories about them. So they're always just going to be something that we talk about and we try to learn more about. And mm-hmm. I personally don't see any sign of them dying out in any time, really. But it'll definitely be interesting to maybe see in 20 or 30 years, like, if there's any other information about dragons or, like, mm-hmm. maybe somebody time travels and, like, gets to meet one. Like, I don't know. <laughs> there was a video circulating on, it probably still is now, on Instagram where it just shows Benedict Cumberbatch dressed in this super cool-looking costume thing where he's acting out smog and he's like crawling on the floor with like the voice and everything i'm like wow this looks so stupid yeah <laughs> but i guess cool yeah because i think i think he was he was in like something he played a dragon in something yeah i think that was a hobbit yeah i think smog. so smog yep yeah, and that's, I think, what they don't really tell the actors is, like, or what you don't realize is, like, oh, this person's just in a weird costume, like, walking yeah. around. <laughs> it was in this, like, all gray with, like, a hood onesie mm-hmm. type thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're they're kind of, I feel like also dragons now are just everywhere because when I was watching um, The Last Dragon on Disney+, Plus, like, even the way that they were depicted was very different than how I imagine them. They're kind of like, obviously it's for kids. So mm-hmm. they're very like colorful and they have like different powers yeah. and they're kind of like, I don't know, they're like shaped kind of oddly. Yeah, like, yeah. 
very like fluid and very lizard like yeah so and I was trying to figure out if they were designed that way intentionally or if they were designed that way because it's a kids movie and they don't yeah, want it's like, funny it's like they're you can do any variation of it like you can make them cute and colorful for kids mm-hmm. or like for like adults or teenagers like look how like creepy and scary they could be yeah like it's like yeah they apparently they have any kind of personality yeah and apparently they can be related back to the bible which i had no idea i didn't know that no (laughs) it's like oh that's Mm -hmm. interesting i feel like a lot of stuff i research like does eventually go back to the bible but (laughs) i just wasn't expecting dragons to be one of them but it makes sense uh, with how long that they've been around and also just the fact that I'm sure somewhere like back in medieval times or before that people were like, I'm going to go off and try to fight this dragon. Yep. Because my king says to. It's like, you're actually going to see anything or are they just like trying to get you out of the city? <laughs> okay, good luck. Yeah. But I don't know. I found the research to be really, really interesting and mm-hmm. exciting. So it was fun. It was fun to look into. And it was kind of, it was a little bit different than I feel like what I usually go for. So a little bit light on the horror this week. Yeah, it was cool. I was definitely thrown off by the Shrek hint. I was just expecting you to do ogres. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why I was surprised. Like, oh, wow, she told me right away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But then, like, I texted you that. And then I had a moment where I was like, are dragons in Shrek? I was like, yes, they are. Yes, they are. The donkey dragon hybrid mm-hmm. animal baby. Weird, but they're cute, but they're weird. <laughs> Again, like um, animation. Yeah. Has no bounds. It tells kids dragons and donkeys can procreate. Yeah, I think kids, if you're listening, they can't. <laughs> Maybe in a fantasy world they can, but. Good story. Yeah, me too. As is there going? There's no episode next week, right? No, yeah, okay. no new. Yeah, so this will be up Thursday, and then next week we will not have a new episode. All right, thank you everyone for joining us for we can't believe episode sixteen of Oi with the Terror already. We can't um, believe it's Oi with the Terror already. <laughs> <laughs> it's catching on, I think. We have a few new listeners, so. I feel like it's kind of late to change the name now. <laughs> I just got into made a camp. I can't believe it's not butter joke variation. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I had to say that. That always went right over my head. <laughs> <laughs> Very delayed reaction on my part. But anyway, thank you again for listening to us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We are going to be dropping this episode this Thursday, but there is no new episode for next week. Uh, We'll also make sure to put that on our Instagram as well. If you want to follow us, you can do so on Instagram at oywiththeterroralready. And if you have any spooky stories, you can email us at oywiththeterroralready at gmail.com or if you have anything you want us to look into or research uh, we'd be happy to just let us know you can also listen to us on spotify apple playlist and anywhere else uh, podcasts are available don't forget to like and subscribe as well thanks for listening we'll see you next time bye